0: dear heavenly father thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family thank you for binding us together in unity by means of faith a faith that was given and provided to us by grace motivated by your love thank you for being so merciful towards sinners father we just earn and deserve nothing And you've done everything. May we never become familiar with this, but rather embrace it, always rejoice in it, be grateful for it, and live in that. Father, we pray for those that are ill in the congregation, and we pray for those that that are still lost in this world. We are most grateful and thankful, of course all the work that your son our lord and savior did on the cross two thousand years ago to afford us an opportunity like this evening to rejoice this way to live in gratitude the way we are we just ask for your blessings on this evening's message may it be edifying for our souls we ask this in jesus christ's precious name by the power of the spirit we do pray amen Again, the Lord is our confidence. I want to begin this evening with some holy scripture. You know what's funny when I write that? I, it has more meaning now than it ever has. Holy scripture. Don't get familiar with that. Holy scripture. Just think about that. All right, go to John 6.51. That means holy writ. Scripture, words set aside for God's purpose. Does that make sense? And we don't think about it that way. We just, ah, oh, it's the Bible, you know, it's the Word of God. We just, it sort of rolls off our tongue, almost like a vernacular, like, you know, it's just, ah, oh, it's you know, Holy Scripture. No, there is actual eternal meaning behind the phrase Holy Scripture. So just thinking about that, uh, as we turn to John 6.51, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Uh, These would have been difficult things for his audience to digest, and that's where we're going to take it this evening, but think about what he's saying. Uh, Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? so jesus said to them truly truly i say to you unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you have no life in yourselves he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and i will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and i in him as the living father sent me and i live because of the father So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught at or in Capernaum. Therefore, and this is the point we're getting to this evening. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Remember, I've taught you this in the past. Disciples doesn't automatically mean believer. It means a student. And so many of his students, his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Well, I guess you could maybe relate to that to some degree, some of you, with some of the lessons as of late, or maybe even the blogs up here on the board. This is a difficult statement. Jesus had no reservations challenging his disciples. None. He knew they would have problems with the things he was saying. And his attitude was, like I've been presenting, good. That's a good thing. Because what I'm teaching you is not anything you'd hear elsewhere. So it's going to confound you for a time. Jesus had no reservations doing that, challenging his disciples. A good undershepherd ought to confidently follow his example. An unchallenged sheep is one who doesn't grow. When Jesus said, my yoke is easy, Matthew 11:30, it was a relative statement. I get really ticked off when I hear people saying, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and they're just sort of like, la, 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 la. And, you know, there's no work whatsoever to be done in the spiritual life. There's no dedication. There's no diligence. There's no active seeking. Nothing. If it's not easy, it must be wrong because, you know, my yoke is easy. So said Jesus. Well, that's a misappropriation of Scripture. That's a gross misappropriation of Holy Scripture. Jesus had no reservation challenging his disciples. A good under-shepherd should do the same following his example. An unchallenged sheep is one who doesn't grow. When Jesus said, my yoke is easy, it was a relative statement. The Bible does not teach us that a grace-filled life is easy, according to man's fleshly sensibilities, of course. The Bible does not teach us that, that a grace-filled life is, quote, easy, that there's no work, that there's no diligence, that there's no grinding, there's no any of that. There's no testing, there's no tribulation, there's no suffering, there's no, you know. These are things that are in the Bible, amen? (laughs) Whoever said that just because God gives grace, that that a grace-filled life is easy? The Bible doesn't say that. But that's, unfortunately, what a lot of people uh, chew on as Christians. And even more sadly, uh, a lot of pulpits teach it, which is really grotesque. Uh, again, the Bible does not teach us that a grace-filled life is easy according to man's fleshly sensibilities. That's a lie in contemporary Christianity that will prove to be the ruin of many at the judgment seat someday. And Because of this, I am regrettably filled with sorrow. Uh, Verse 60, again, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, and he's speaking to his disciples, remember, and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. I can only imagine what happens in the soul of a false professor of faith when he, she hears that verse. John 6, 6, 6. As a result of this, Many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Do you see what happened? Uh, many rejected him. This is difficult. Wah, wah, when, Right? This is difficult. Who can understand this? Let's get out of here. Sounds like this church sometimes. People come in. Whoa, whoa, Nelly, I'm getting out of here. Way too deep. Way too challenging. I don't want to hear that. I just want to get my ego stroked. I just want someone to tell me how easy it's going to be once I'm saved, you know, this whole lie. As is often the case, challenges force distinctions between wheat and chaff. In this case, Jesus' difficult statements did just that, didn't they? Exactly. And that is a very good thing up here on the board. Difficult messages force us to face our convictions, stimulating growth in us. That's a very important point. Difficult messages force us to face our convictions, stimulating growth in us. Like metal, which stands up to the test of purity, so does our faith, if it's legitimate. Do you have faith? that stands up to the challenges posed to you from this pulpit? That's, only some, that's something that only you can answer. Do you have faith that stands up to the challenges posed to you from this pulpit? Again, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So I echo Jesus' own words to you this evening. Look at uh, John 6:67, 6, part B especially. You do not want to go away also, do you? Do you see how he pushed them? Scott brought this up uh, on Tuesday. Jesus had no problem pushing disciples back. You sure you want to stick around? You sure you you don't want to follow your friends over there back into the world, to the mire? You you sure? You you know, I'm going to push you back a little bit. You sure this is for you? You sure you want this? Have you counted the cost? are you willing to give up are you willing to deny yourself because you can't be my disciple my true disciple unless these things ring true in your heart you don't want to go away also do you my prayer of course is that you respond to any challenges you face the way peter did love it verse 68 simon peter answered him lord to whom shall we go I love it. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Not that favorites should matter, but you know what I'm saying. I just love it. Where are we going to go? <laughs> and you can see Peter, right? Mr. Foot and the Maut- right? Hey, where are we going to go? <laughs> but he was so raw and so true, and he had such a love and an adoration for the Lord, he basically said, to, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So, in the end, when people are challenged with the unadulterated, raw truth, two things always happen. Always. There is no middle ground. I wrote a blog on this. Uh, It's coming out, obviously, uh, tomorrow and Saturday, depending on when you uh, go after it or read it. When people are challenged with unadulterated, raw truth... Two things always happen. Some run away, others stay. There's no real middle ground, you understand? There's no, is it Sweden or Switzerland? Which one takes the neutral? Switzerland. There's no Swiss route. Because God, the Holy Spirit, doesn't work that way. He says, I'm going to convict you now, here you go. And the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, cuts just like a, a knife, all the way down to marrow, right, to bone and marrow, and says, there's no getting, you can't sit on the tip. You're going to go one way or the other with this thing. You're going to have to make a decision, in other words, about what I just convicted you of. Some run away, others stay. This is the risk love takes. This is the risk love takes. I know from firsthand experience that every time I'm asked to teach, on a challenging subject, for example, dating, sex before marriage, drugs and alcohol, uh, money and giving, just to name a few. Every time I teach on that, every time, two things happen. Some run, some stay. Every single time, bar never. Some run, some stay. The ones that stay are, of course, better for it. And the ones that run away do so for a time, or often, sadly, permanently. But something always happens. Challenging messages do that thing. Remember the start of class? It's holy scripture. There's no getting away from it. It cuts all the way to the bone. It's one way or the other. You will make a decision about that convicting, uh, or that conviction in your soul you can't play switzerland so some stay and they're better for it and others run away here's my point up here on the board love takes risks love gladly takes that risk a good friend takes the risk of offending someone they love for their friend's sake quote so have i become your enemy by telling you the truth galatians four sixteen. that was paul of course again he He also writes, 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Love takes that risk. I'll gladly love you more. Some of you are going to run away. Some already have. Some of you can think back. Some of you have been with me the entire decade plus we've been open. And you think back and you think of all the people that have been here. And as the challenging messages came forth from the pulpit, whoop, gone, whoop, gone, whoop, gone, gone. People just started to fall away. They did it to Jesus. That's what truth does. Truth is offensive to people. It's offensive to the flesh. They don't like it. The humble, take it on the chin, pray to God about it, uh, seek him diligently, uh, act like a Berean even, seek it out in their own Bibles, and ultimately they stay because they want the truth. Others, they, don't, they never really wanted the truth, or they're just too damn lazy. It's, it's usually one of those things. They just, they just are playing some game. I don't know. I do know, but you know what I'm saying. A fleshly, self-centered person typically responds with, why are you attacking me? That's one of my favorites. What did you just say to me? I'm attacking you? I'm telling you the truth from the Holy Scripture, and somehow I'm attacking you? I think you got things backwards, my friend. I'm not attacking you. I'm loving you. Literally. It's the best thing I can do for you is give you the truth, right? I'm not even giving you my opinion. I'm giving you the truth from Holy Writ. And somehow I'm attacking you. Since when is an expression of love an attack? Since never, actually. But the human flesh perverts the truth whenever it is offended. It's like a cornered rat. All it's able to do is lash out and bite the one, supposedly causing whatever pain they are feeling. But therein lies the lie itself. That's the deceitfulness of sin. That's the trickery that we spent 75 parts on. I'm not your enemy. (laughs) I'm not the one causing you pain. You're causing you pain. You're the one that's maligned with the truth. The truth, nor the messenger, is ever the cause of pain. They are never the truth, and neither is the messenger, ever the cause of pain. It's the malignment to the truth that is the cause. The truth is never the cause of pain. It's the malignment to the truth that is the cause. If you walk up to a tree and kick it as hard as you can, is it the tree's fault you're in pain? No, for real. Is it? Stupid tree. The same goes with the truth. It is immovable. It is stationary. It is immutable. If you kick against it, It's not the truth's fault. You're in pain or discomfort. Fair enough. So don't kill the messenger. You know, I was thinking about that. There's an old secular proverb. Some of you who are in uh, a certain workplace, I was in industry and it was all mm, self-help books and garbage, stuff like that. But there's an old secular proverb, perception is 90% of reality. Ever heard that? Nobody? Okay. Perception is 90% of reality. This requires one huge qualifier. The proverb is actually true, but only for fleshly people. Here's what's true for us. You know why I know that? Because that's Holy Scripture. (laughs) That's, That's how I know. We walk by faith, not by sight. It's not what we perceive, it's what's true. How many times have you perceived something was wrong only to find out later that you were totally wrong? But it feels so right. I'm in so much love. But the Bible says you shouldn't be doing that thing. So you either walk like an unbeliever or you walk in the truth. You see, those are the two choices, right? Just like that, you see? The Bible comes down, the makairah, the sword, the very tip goes whoosh, all the way to the bone, and you have to make a decision. I'm either with God or I'm against him. I either accept the truth or I reject it. 2 Corinthians five, seven. for we walk by faith, not by sight. For example, when you walk out of here, some days limping, I'm speaking figuratively, do you blame me? Because your reality, think of, you know, 90%, or perception is 90% of reality, right? Do you blame me because your reality is based on fleshly perceptions? Or do you have that, or do you have the required faith to deliver you? Are you upset with the messenger for telling you the truth? Is that your reality? Are you upset with me? You're taking it up with me that's your reality because that's what you perceive is the right approach if you don't believe the messenger here's a point that the Spirit's been giving us all week if you don't believe the messenger then go search for it yourself if you dare if you don't believe the messenger don't 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 call up your friends and go, hey, what do you, what do you think about what, uh, you know, the pastor's been teaching? Hey, what, what do you think about? And then, you know, circle around until you find someone who sides with you so you can keep on living your, your disgusting little lie. Right? Or you can go like this. I wonder what the Bible has to say. I wonder what Holy Scripture has to say. Hmm. Oh. Back on the phone. Don't like that at all. If you don't believe the messenger, then go search for it yourself. But just be warned. I'm rarely wrong. I'm not saying I'm always right, I will tell you that. But if I teach something dogmatically, it's rare that I'm wrong. So you better be ready for that challenge because you're most likely going to come upon what I just taught you. Go search for it for yourself. I mean I encourage that I don't want you I want everybody to do that thing whether you think I'm right or wrong because I want you to have your own convictions amen all right but especially if you think you know if you're gonna take issue with me especially at those times take it upon yourself go search for it for yourself then you can turn you ready then you can turn your malcontent against the Word of God and good luck with that but Isn't it just so much easier blaming the messenger? You know, rallying up a a couple extra fools on the phone that agree with you. Isn't it so much easier blaming the messenger? Even doing as so many over the years have here, just leave and search for a messenger with less integrity? One willing to water down the truth to accommodate your sensitive you know your sensitive flesh your fleshly sensibilities that happened how many times has that happened DJ oh it's ridiculous that's ridiculous people just don't want the truth and when I encourage them go find the truth for yourself they don't want it they just assume go find somebody that's going to tickle their ears many so-called Christians really just want to be lazy and now I was thinking about that as well and what I'm about to present has nothing at all. So don't be saying, oh, I see where this is going, Mr. Oh, Mr. You know, Mr. I don't have a TV anymore. <sighs> I can't. People are ridiculous, okay? I already cleared that air out. Did I not? So I was thinking about this. I believe, why are people lazy? Like, especially in America. I mean, you have everything. Why, I mean, why are we not all over this? Like, all the time. I believe it's a culture that the television has fostered. I'm not, even, I'm not even ashamed. I almost changed that to media, but it wouldn't be right, because I'm going to give you a statistic that is uh, unsettling. I believe we live in a culture that the television uniquely has fostered. According to a Nielsen, do everybody know what Nielsen is? They're the guys who keep the ratings and, you know, who's watching what. Basically, they they tap your channel searching and all that stuff. A little creepy, but whatever. According to a Nielsen report, the average American watches five hours and four minutes a day of television. Five hours and four minutes a day. Supposing we sleep eight hours. I'm just doing a little math, so just bear with me. Supposing we sleep eight hours, that leaves 16 hours of awake time. That means that the average America spends close to one-third, one-third of their awake time being passively entertained, passively entertained by something controlled by the kingdom of darkness. You are passively being entertained. It means you're letting it into your soul. You're You're saying, I invite you in. You're passively letting it in something you know is controlled by the kingdom of darkness the culture of america might well be most significantly influenced by this one form of media one form of media one thing i would argue it's probably the greatest influencer of all and you know what we haven't even included things that are supplanting the television, smartphones, and the internet. I, I didn't even include that in. You add that in, I think the average person's on their cell phone four hours a day. That's nine hours, this many. You're only awake 16. Nine of them is on something controlled by the kingdom of darkness, and then add in the internet? I don't, no wonder people don't get out of their houses anymore. No wonder why people are islands. No wonder why people have the social graces of my shoe. No wonder why people don't know how to have real relationships. No wonder why everybody's so... What do you think the kingdom of darkness is after? Just that thing. The kingdom of darkness does not want you to be well-adjusted to something as foreign as Active, an active culture. So, what we end up with is a passive culture. That's what I want you to think about. A passive culture. The culture itself is passive. In a passive culture, the consumers demand to be spoon-fed. That's what they're used to, right? the predominant feature in their life is something that spoons feed them, or spoon feeds them, right? So it's natural to say, well, I kind of like being spoon fed, so I'm just going to have, I demand that everybody spoon feeds me. For example, it used to be that if a person wanted to eat, they had to walk to the daily market, pick up some food, and then return home to cook it. Heck, before that, a person had to hoe or pick it out of a field or off of a tree, or go milk a cow for it. Those are the days when people actually read their Bibles regularly and as a family around the table, et cetera, et cetera. Today, we have an obnoxious... Take a drive down any main road in America. We have an obnoxious number of restaurants in America where someone else cooks for us. And if we're feeling more rambunctious but no less lazy, maybe we have Peapod or Amazon deliver us prepackaged food to our doorstep. Am I judging anyone? No. See, some of you are already like this. I really don't like this ball guy tonight. I told you it's not about me. I'm trying to develop a concept. I'm trying to convince you that we live in a passive culture. That's all. I'm just saying these things are elements. These are telltale signs of a passive culture. Is that fair? There you go. That's all I'm trying to say. I'm not judging anybody, so cool your jets. All I'm describing is a passive culture, which, in fact, is America today. This passivity permeates all aspects of our lives, making demands, even expecting them to be met without question. Some of you might be saying, yeah, that's called entitlement. Exactly. But it's a function of this passive culture. We even expect these demands that are based on a passive culture to be met without question. God forbid anybody disrupts the flow of our lives. For example, education is just one of the many casualties that we can clearly identify. We learn the Word of God, don't we? You know what we call it? An education. You're getting an education right now. You open up your Bible, you get an education. Is that fair? Okay. Is that the same as or the opposite of passive culture? It's the opposite. That's called active learning. You actually taking and investing your time with good intention and good energy to invest in your education. We call that active learning. But that's the antithesis of American culture. So you see where the two things collide. You see the difficulty of being a shepherd nowadays in America. If I go overseas, if I go in India, they thirst. All they want to do is talk to you. They want to pray with you. They want to talk to you. They want you to bless them. They're thirsty for it. They can't get enough of it. Here, it's the exact opposite. They will they will follow you around in other countries. They will actively pursue you. The best most shepherds can hope for nowadays is that people even show up. And then half the time they're sleeping or they're disenchanted because the pastor's not entertaining enough. Or he's not telling enough, you know, stories or there's not enough music, or whatever it is that's not entertaining you. Do you know what I'm saying? Learning the Word of God is an education. You ready? I'm your teacher. That is true. I'm here to quip. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, right? But I'm not about to abide in anyone's perverted notion of passive learning just because of some ungodly culture my students bring to church with them. I can't bend, in other words. Did you, did you see Jesus bend? No. He had no problem. No problem not bending to the will of man. This came out on Thursday, uh, Tuesday, excuse me, up here on the board. Passive learning. A pastor's job is to instruct you how to ride a bike, and I'm just borrowing from Scott's example there. I'm here. I, I want to see you ride. He may help you holding your handlebars, installing training wheels, etc., however the ultimate goal is for you to ride solo. You ought to be able to go home and read your own Bible. I encourage it. Go to Acts 17, verse 11. Acts 17, verse 11. Doesn't mean you ride off into the sunset. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm so well-trained, I don't even need a pastor anymore. Don't forget where you came from. <laughs> People do that, too. I got a few of those that I'm thinking of right now that used to be, and now they, they, all of a sudden, they don't need pastors anymore, or they do something just solely online. They don't need face-to-face. It's just like an online gig, and they shop around, and they church hop, and they do whatever they feel like because they're jackasses. Was that too harsh? Some friends of yours? Acts 17, 11. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. When, what does it say? Sometimes? Daily. Imagine that. Daily. daily. Imagine that. Daily. Some of you are like this. Uh, uh. Oh, well. <laughs> I can't reach. It's over there. My wife's at work. Uh, Oh, I think I just pulled something. Oh, Lordy, Lordy. Oh, Lord. Pray for my healing. (laughs) Examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. Oh, imagine that. I want to point something out up here on the board. You ready? Don't miss this. This is what active learning does. You ready? Up here on the board. Active learning. Examining the scriptures daily has definite, predictable results. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that God is actually not a liar? God's not a God of confusion. He says, if you knock, I'll open. If you seek, you will find. Imagine that. Be an active learner. Examine the scriptures daily, and something happens. Definite predictable results. In the case of the Bereans, many of them believed. I mean, is there any greater thing than that? No. Acts 17, 11 and 12. Now, how do you think you will ever truly believe in God's word? How do you think that's going to happen for you? Even if you come to service faithfully, like some of you do. But that's it. That's the end of it. Like You just come here to be entertained, if you want to call it that. You just come here, you know, so I can just like spoon feed you, right? And you got your little bib on that says I'm a Christian, you know. And then you, oh, oh, I forgot to take it off at work tomorrow, so everybody knows that you're a little Christian. You know what I'm saying? Oh, oh, did I tell you I'm a Christian? Let me see my shirt, John three sixteen, right? But you don't open up your Bible. You just come to class to be spoon-fed because you're part of the American culture, you know what I'm saying, huh? Everybody's like, not me. I don't know what you're talking about, mister. Suppose you enlist in the U.S. Army. Eventually the day comes where you must learn to shoot a weapon. Imagine if your instructors only showed you how to shoot. (laughs) They said, everybody stand over there, watch me shoot. Imagine if that's all they ever did. They just showed you how to shoot. But never put a weapon in your hand and asked you to practice. What would happen if, with this training alone, you were dropped into the heat of battle on some foreign soil? Will you survive? Nope. Nope. Why not? Because your instructor graduated a bunch of passive learners into active warfare. Let me say it again. Your instructor, graduated a bunch of passive learners into active warfare. I suppose in some ways, if the world we lived in was passive, like there wasn't a kingdom, of, we didn't have any enemies. We didn't have flesh to cope with, we didn't have Satan to cope with, we didn't have the, the world system to cope with, we had no enemies. I suppose if it was completely passive and they never were aggressive at all, I guess in some ways, being a passive learner, you might survive the ordeal. But we don't have that at all. This world we live in is a bloodbath. Given the fact that you lasted, oh, I don't know, 3.8 seconds in the heat of battle, how would you rate your training? Your trainer? Passive learning never works. Especially not in warfare. Especially not in warfare. We are at War. If you don't believe me, read Ephesians 6. We are at war. Is training difficult at times? No. Ask a real soldier if boot camp is tough. Ask him. Feel free to ask me if learning the Bible to the degree where God promoted me to pastor of this church was difficult or not. Thousands of hours of studying. Thousands, literally thousands of hours of studying. My bragging, not at all. I'm just saying that's what was required. And frankly, sometimes I didn't want to do it. <laughs> you know what I'm getting at? Sometimes I, I, I'm moody or something. I don't know, I'm crabby. You know, maybe, I don't know, I just didn't feel like preparing a... a, a, a I'll just come up here and go, hey, watch me. <laughs> right? <laughs> watch me do it. Because I'm lazy, and I don't want to actually teach you anything. <laughs> uh, if it was difficult for me at times, what say you of, your, of, of my students' experience? What say you of that, then? If it was difficult for me to learn this stuff, what say you of, what, what should your expectations be, then? 2 Peter 3.14, go there. 2 Peter 3.14. 2 Peter 3.14. <laughs> I had like half the, half of you guys just looking at me like, <laughs> like, like, Michael, oh, I don't know. Right. We don't actually do it. Just show us. I'll just read it. Don't even bother. Don't go to the scripture. I'll just read it to you. Mm. Hmm. Second Peter 3.14 Therefore, beloved, look at how he addresses them nonetheless, beloved, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, now Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament which is where we typically spend most of our time, okay? Also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. There you go. Which the untaught and unstable distort. Untaught, unstable, distort. It would be like a guy coming up to Joey, right, who's actually not only an expert in riflemanship, but actually has been to war. It'd be like a guy coming up to Joey who's never even touched a weapon ever and saying, hey, let me show you how this is done. That's what it means to be untaught and unstable and to distort reality. You don't know what the hell you're doing, bud. You should should get the hell away from the weapon is what you should be doing because you're distorting the truth, you see. You're going to shoot someone's head off. which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. To their own destruction. Up here on the board. It's a very important point. To their own destruction. A person who rejects a challenge that is designed to stimulate spiritual growth is the person who seals their own fate. As soon as they go out into the field where the real war is, outside of these four walls, they're dead as a doorknob. They're done. They're toast. That day's shot. They fail every time because they don't know the first thing about holding up under pressure. A person who rejects a challenge that is designed to stimulate spiritual growth is the person who seals their own fate. This person lives a distorted reality, unstable in all their ways. We'll get to James 1, 5 to 8 in a moment. But all I can tell you is, from a shepherd's perspective, this is heartbreaking. To see anybody destroy themselves because of, I don't know, laziness, or oh, it's too hard, or you know they're playing the violin, the lessons are difficult. I'm going to tell you honest to good and truth. Ninety-nine, ninety-eight, okay I'll give you two percent. Ninety-eight percent of the time, if I ever have a conversation with someone who says they're having difficulty, They haven't taken in all the lessons, they haven't read all the blogs, and they haven't read their Bible. And I say, well, what do you expect then? What do you want me to do? Your work for you? If you haven't done all the prerequisite work, what do you expect me to do? I've done my job. I literally have done my job. What do you want me to do for you? Do you know what I'm getting at? 98% of the time, when someone's confused, it's because they actually haven't done the work to their own destruction. It's why they failed the test that day. It's why they're in my office phone calling me. You know, I don't understand what's going on in my life. I do. That's why, honestly, very few people call me anymore. Because the conversation, I have to get through ground zero in the conversation. Well, have you been keeping up? No. I don't know what to tell you then. Do you remember me saying all that, like a broken record, and you rolled your eyes in class because I saw you? Yeah. What What are we having this conversation for, then? You already know the answer. The answer is get off your ass, your jackass. Your ass. Jackass. Get off your duff. I'm serious. That's the answer. Stop playing games. Stop, you know. Making accommodations for your ridiculous flesh. That's all. It's not really hard, um, but it's heartbreaking from a shepherd's perspective to see someone pursue their own end that way is awful. Someone, some of you, have been reading that book I told you to read, and um, I haven't read it in a while. But my mom told me about like the second or third chapter where his beautiful, one of his most beautiful sheep, he had to put down. Yeah. He had to put it down because it was dragging other sheep away. That's heartbreaking. That's a heartbreaking reality. I've actually had to to ask people to leave this congregation because they were distracting some of you. I get very close, by the way. I'm always pretty close with certain people. Just haven't had to do it in a while. But I will. If I find out someone's dragging someone else away, I will. And it won't take me very long. but nonetheless, to their own destruction. It's a heartbreaking reality, and it happens all the time. Verse 17. You, therefore, beloved... See, Peter addresses them with love and affection. It's the same thing I do. Just because he's being stern, or he's saying there's going to be some challenges, I still love you. I'm doing this because of it. This is hard work, you see. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Again, the point on the board, a person who rejects a challenge that is designed to stimulate spiritual growth is the person who seals their own fate. This person lives a distorted reality, unstable in all their ways. Okay, now I'll go to James 1.5. James 1.5, since I've got that referenced as well. James 1.5. <clears throat> James 1.5 reads, You ready? But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not expect to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. That's hard to speak, isn't it? Yeah. Being a double-minded, double-souled, remember dipsuchos, man, unstable in all his ways. Because he's distorting things. He's untaught. He's untrained. So he's unstable. Again, a person who rejects a challenge that is designed to stimulate spiritual growth as a person who seals their own faith. This person lives a distorted reality, unstable in all their ways. We just read that. When you ask God, now listen up, please. When you ask God to clear something up in your soul, I can guarantee, if you're listening, He will tell you to consult your Bible. He will tell you to consult your Bible. You say, what's your Bible have to say? Some of you go, la, 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 la. I just spent the last 38 whole seconds, Lord, praying to you on this. I expect a response. Takes me less time to order (gasps) Peapod. Only only takes me like three and a half seconds to turn the TV on. You're 38 seconds. I haven't got an answer yet. (clap) Chop, chop, Lord. Can you imagine? That's literally, I believe that as a fact. How we treat the Lord. It's despicable. Why do I not have this? Why am I not delivered? I'm telling you right now, he's going to tell you to read your Bible. And you know what? That's your test. That is your test. Do you understand it yet? Reading your Bible isn't just a command, it's a test. It's a test. The test question is, do you want to know the truth or not? That's the test question. Do you want to know the truth or not? David, as we've been studying, actually wanted to be tested to see if he would answer such a question rightly. Okay, I mean, I just thought this up. Whatever, spirit gave it to me. Okay, so you're an astronaut. Whoa! Stretch, right? You're about to go up into space tomorrow. You're going to be piloting the shuttle. Okay. You're a little unsure about one of the controls. Just go with it. Do you want somebody to actually test you to see if you got it right? Or do you just want to wing it? Right? Do you want to know the truth about this precarious situation you're in or not? See, some of you say, well, in that circumstance, I totally want to know the truth. But when it comes to my sex life, I really don't want to know. When it comes to that to booze, I really don't want to know. When it comes to giving to the church, I really don't want to know. I don't want to know the truth about it. But if it's going to kill me, I guess I want to know the truth. Why is there a difference? Don't don't you just want to know the truth? I mean, isn't that what was so remarkable about David? It was his humility. He just said, I just fear the Lord. Remember all the Proverbs he wrote and stuff? I just fear the Lord. I just want to know if if this is the truth. That's what I want to know. If I'm out of line, I want to know. That should be the ultimate litmus test of our own hearts. Do we want to know the truth? David wanted to be tested to see if he would answer such a question rightly. How many of us actually seek to be tested by the Lord? A perfect example. You ready? The test. Open up your Bible. Not now, but go home. Open up your Bible. Start reading. I don't know. Uh, read uh, Galatians, I don't care, whatever. Read something, right? Something that has a little bit of conviction to it. No, Corinthians, right? See if you pass the test. See if what you're reading either affirms or negates what you've been living in, how you've been living. That's what it means. I mean, anybody have God come right down today? and talk face to face with them? I don't think so. So that's what this is. You consult the Lord this way. You go in and you say, huh, that's convicting one way or the other. Remember, conviction can go either way. You can be convicted that you're you know, righteous, or you can be convicted that you're unrighteous and sinning. But either way, how many of us actually seek to be tested by the Lord? How many are playing hide-and-seek? Putting the onus of seeking on God instead of the other way around, the way Holy Scripture states. Go to Psalm 26, verse 1. Psalm 26, verse 1. How many are passive learners and how many are active? That's what the Spirit's developing. Psalm 26, verse 1. David said, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Well, you said that that's what you would do if you were going to take up a space shuttle tomorrow. I want to know if I'm going to fly this thing correctly. My confidence is a little low. How about this up here on the board? Psalm 139, 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. I just want to know, am I doing this right? Am I going about this right? Am I actually, possibly, living in a sin? Have I been lied to? Have I been lied to and then been lazy about it? Because, you know, you kind of like the lie, you know. Have I sought counsel from the world? For some of you, that's your parents. Some of your parents do not have it right. And you go to them, you say, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, what do you think about this? And they tell you a lie, because that's how they were raised. And they're still ignorant. And they tell you a lie, and they say, it's okay, it's no problem, it's okay. Keep living in that sin. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Don't worry about it, son. I did it. And look at me. I turned out great. Did you? Did you, though? I'm not seeing it, dad. I'm not seeing it, mom. Be careful who you listen to. Just because they're in your house doesn't mean that they know better than I do, or especially know better than this. Be careful who you listen to. I personally believe that most Christians play hide-and-seek with the Lord. It reminds me of the times I've played hide-and-seek with small children. You know, they do that thing because they're egocentric. They cover their eyes or they stick their head behind a chair (laughs) and their whole body's sticking (laughs) out. And since they can't see you, they believe you can't see them. How silly, right? I think that's how some people are with God. They say, well, I guess if I don't, like, look at the truth, it doesn't matter. If I don't see God opposed to my life, then maybe he isn't. You follow? Maybe he's not there. (laughs) For believers, perception is not 90% of reality. In fact... Perception is often the tool the kingdom of darkness uses against us. Remember when we talked about um, music? Like, it's not how you feel about stuff. Remember that whole thread that started, music was in there? Um, It's not what you feel. Some people worship their feelings. Remember we talked about all that? Yeah, that's wrong. It's it's not about you serving your feelings. But it feels right, and since it feels right, that's reality. I perceive it as right because it feels right. Who gives a crap that it feels right? It's a matter of, is it true or not? That's what faith is based on. We must rely on faith alone. So don't be calling up your friends, your parents, your relatives, your old buddies from high school, And ask them how they feel about Jesus, how they feel about your sinful life, or how they feel about this, that, or the other. It's about faith in the truth, in the Word of God. That's what delivers us, right? The truth shall make you free. Not your feelings. If something in our lives doesn't, you know, jive with Holy Scripture, we must be like the Bereans and dig our heels in. We must do that very thing that Jesus commanded seek as we noted at the outset of this evening's message jesus had no problem instigating difficulties in the souls of his disciples nor does frankly any good under shepherd i actually think that's part of our job and we have to pull back the wool even right If, if you're reading that book you know what a shepherd's job is we actually have to pull back the wool and inspect the skin and see if there's any disease or any bugs or any foreign object or any of that stuff, and we count the sheep. So any good under-shepherd does those things, has no problem instigating difficulties. There's a—and I've got to close—there's a pervasive lie out there that proposes that once a person becomes a believer, life is going to magically get easier across the board in particular, in ways that accommodate the human flesh. Uh, I'll take just a little bit more. For example, for example, and that's the lie. The lie is that, you know, grace somehow is accommodating to man. Grace means easy, you know. Grace means free stuff from God. You understand what I'm saying? That's all grace is, just free stuff from God. Because Jesus loves me, right? And you throw it up. You don't have to the damn thing. You just live your life as a sinner, and that's it. And just, God, God gives you free stuff. And you just sit on your couch with your passive sewer pipe and your Peapod truck and your Amazon account, right? And you just want everybody to just cater to you. God just gives you free stuff, right? He just brings everything to you like everybody else in America does. You got it? Hmm. Okay. For example, suppose you're a sinner in a particular way. Sex, drugs, stealing, lying, jealousy. You choose. I don't know. What's your poison? There are some who peddle the gospel of Jesus Christ as a relief valve from the guilt of such sin. In other words, as I alluded to in my recent blog titled, Emotional Salvation Isn't Enough. And this week's title, Grace works and indifference. Listen, grace, God's grace, isn't a panacea for sin. It's not a cure-all to your sinful living, experientially speaking. I'm not talking about positionally. I'm not talking about the work on the cross. Talk, I'm talking about something real, someone something called licentiousness. Grace is not a license to sin. The Mechira, right? It's Hebrews 4.12. He says, I'm going to do this good work in you. The good work is actually letting you know, making you choose one side or the other. That's my grace gift to you. But you have a free will, so you choose experientially. I never said that if you choose wrong, you can just keep abusing me. Matter of fact, I said, you're going to reap what you sow. I'm never mocked. I said that, says the Lord. My grace gift to you is giving you the truth. Amen? That's my grace gift to you. I never said it was going to be painless. You know, being cut with a sword all the way to the bone probably is painful. Amen? Yeah. Probably is pa- I never said it was going to be painless. Matter of fact, I told you you were going to suffer. I told you to endure because it builds character, and endurance. right? Grace is the gift of the truth. You need to think about that. You've got three days. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible gift of this evening's message. Truth always sets us free, Father. Whether or not we choose to accept that reality or not isn't the issue. That is the truth of the matter. Father, we just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to our homes, back to our own lives. We just ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.